This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Good morning. Thanks. Thanks for being here today. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the Old Testament, 1 Samuel. If you're here and you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, if you'll raise your hand, our ushers will give you a free copy of the Bible, be able to take it home with you today and be able to follow along as we read today and look closely at 1 Samuel chapter 24. And we're going to read the whole chapter. So hang on. This is God's inspired, inerrant, infallible, holy word. And it's a gift to us. When Saul returned, verse 1, from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in, in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Verse 8. Afterward, David also arose, went out of the cave, and called after Saul, My Lord, the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth, and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you. But I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for He is the Lord's anointed. See, my Father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. 
May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness. But my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the King of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog. After a flea. May the Lord therefore be judge. And give sentence between me and you. And see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, You are more righteous than I. For you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. And then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Note verse 1 of chapter 25, just for context, now Samuel died. After all that, they named the books after him, and he dies and he gets one sentence. Chapter 31, Saul will actually kill himself. We're, we're in a transition moment here. For David, it is a long and difficult journey. And I think this text calls us to be patient on the, the long and difficult journey we all face to the kingdom of heaven. His was a long and difficult journey. And as we conclude 1 Samuel and begin 2 Samuel next week, it's a good time to kind of summarize and take a minute to think about the big picture. We're in the Old Testament because the Bible is a book, the whole Bible, 66 books put together. It has one author and it has a central message and that message is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. In Psalm 32 that our David wrote, he speaks about the Gospel. He speaks about the blessing of someone to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. He speaks about someone whose sins are forgiven. God justifies the ungodly by grace as a gift through faith. That's the good news. The ungodly are counted righteous by faith in Christ who died for our sins. Through the grace of Christ, we receive the gift 
of righteousness. It means reconciliation to God. It means peace with God. It means access to God. The Christian name for God is Father. David was a believer. Like Abraham before him, his faith is counted to him as righteousness even in the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel, Christ hadn't come yet, but in his forbearance, in his patience, God passes over David's sins knowing he is going to put forward Christ as a sacrifice to be received by faith. David withheld his hand from Saul by faith. He trusted God. He was on a long and difficult path to the kingdom, and he's trusting God. And this chapter is written for our instruction. David's a believer too. And he's a type of Christ, a pattern, a model. We can learn about Christ by studying his life. It's instructive. Christ's journey to the throne was long and difficult. 1 Samuel repeatedly reminds us that God is in control. We read in verse 18 here, Saul says to David, the Lord put me in your hands in that cave. And he's correct. God's in control, so why has the journey got to be long? Why does it have to be difficult? God has already rejected Saul as king. He's already chosen David to be king. Why? Why not consummate the kingdom now? Why not do it in this cave? Why is there delay? Why is there an already and a not yet? It it doesn't answer the why question. Chapter 24 doesn't answer that. But it does encourage us, doesn't it? Hey, this is like our journey. This is how God works. And we know He's good and powerful, so knowing that it's supposed to be this way, that it will be this way for God's people, long and difficult with God's power in control, trusting in His love, knowing He is good and merciful. David had a chance here to take a shortcut to the kingdom. Jesus had a chance. Satan tempted Jesus. He took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and he said, all these I'll give you, just worship me. But Jesus rejected Satan's temptation like David. He stayed on the long and difficult journey that would take him to Jerusalem and to the cross. And we're supposed to to look at Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. We're supposed to consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility so that we don't grow weary or faint-hearted. Satan says to all of us today, don't wait, don't be patient, don't exercise restraint. Why? Why does the path to the kingdom have to be so long and difficult? And he says, because it isn't true. It's not worth it. God doesn't keep His promises. 
Look at your circumstances. There's no hope. Don't believe. Take the shortcut. He's aiming at your faith. He wants to weaken your faith. And that's why everything about us as a congregation, as a church, is to strengthen faith. Everything this morning in our service is aimed at strengthening your faith. That's why we gave you an extra hour today. It's why the gathering of the church on the Lord's Day must never be neglected. Everything is meant to build your faith. The singing, the public reading of Scripture, communion, prayer, fellowship with other believers, the donuts, the honoring of believers like Aaron and Laura, the exercising of spiritual gifts. They're all around you, not just in prophetic words. Not just in that charismatic that's speaking in tongues beside you. It's all around you. There's spiritual gifts all around you. The preaching of God's Word is designed to strengthen your faith. Everything, all our efforts are so weak. And that's why when they work as a means of grace, God gets all the glory. In our parenting, we prayed for the parents and the babies today. We're praying for their faith to be strengthened. We're praying for their children to receive the gift of faith and be made alive in Christ. According to Christ, everything else will be added to them. In our men's and women's ministry, Jake led our efforts on Friday and yesterday for the women. And both mornings were helpful and encouraging, I hear. Our goal is to strengthen Strengthen faith. Every man and woman is on a long and difficult journey to the kingdom. If you're a woman seeking to be faithful, to follow Jesus Christ in the 21st century, it's like you're in a cave and there's another path being presented to you every single day. Temptation is there. And the other path promises it won't be long and it won't be difficult. And in the cave with you is 600 other people who are in distress, in debt, and bitter. Other voices are saying, here's the day. The Lord has said, do whatever seems good to you. Kill Him. And Jake in our women's ministry is seeking to serve you by connecting you to women who will say, wait for the Lord. It's long, it's difficult, but He is good and He is powerful. So let's unpack 1 Samuel 24 this morning. Let's strengthen our souls together in the Lord. Here are three helpful takeaways for us from 1 Samuel 24. Number one, like David, you're on a long and difficult journey to the kingdom of heaven. Number two, like David, you're going to need to exercise restraint. And number three, like David, you're going to need to be patient. So you're on a long and difficult journey. Number one, Saul's pursuit of David has been intensifying all throughout 1 Samuel, if you're paying attention. He initially has David in his court. He gets angry at him one day and kind of explodes in anger and throws a spear at him. Now it's come to this. 
David is hunting, I'm sorry, Saul is hunting him down. He's got 3,000 chosen troops, Navy SEALs, to kill him. And, and he gets information, he has informants, where he is and he goes after him. He's never been able to get him, but he's always had the advantage. He's crazy. Saul is not well mentally. And he has troops and he has a kingdom. He's living in comfort while David is running for his life. Things keep looking worse for David. Saul can fail, but it's no big deal. He can pursue him another day. But one slip up is the end for David. All this changes in this chapter. Saul's just returned from going after the Philistines. He defeated them. He gets information that where David is. And so verse 2 says he, he takes 3,000 chosen men to wild goats rocks. David has 600 men. Saul has a 5 to 1 advantage and, and David's men are, are not, if you remember from 1 Samuel 22, they're not chosen men. It's everyone that's in distress, everyone that's in debt, everyone that's bitter and sold. And things aren't working out for them, they go to David. And there's 600 of them. And then verse 3, he came to the sheepfolds. Saul came, comes to the sheepfolds where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Suddenly, the narrator is giving us too much information. <laughs> you know, he hasn't gone into this detail. Even kings need to relieve themselves, but you don't read about it in every chapter. Normally, the authors of the Old Testament don't feel it's important to let you know when these guys are going to the bathroom. Certainly, many times Saul has relieved himself, but we don't read about it. But this isn't juvenile humor. It's an important part of the story. David and his men are in the cave. There are many caves in this region. You can go to this region today, and there are many, many caves. But Saul chose to relieve himself in that cave. where David and his men are hiding. And so he's right in verse 18 where he says, the Lord put me into your hands. He knows. This is not a coincidence. This is not an accident. This is again another example of God's providence. It has everything to do with you. If you came here today going, why Lord? Why? Why already but not yet? Why? Long and difficult. Right here it is. The Lord is in control. Even where the king of Israel goes to the bathroom. Even the particular cave where David and his men hide. He's sovereign. Saul was vulnerable. David was vulnerable. If Saul cried for help, it's still 3,000 to 600. It's a tense moment, but it's an opportunity. And so in verse 4, David's men they're like, here it is, here it is, here it is. And what they said to him is kill him. 
They said, kill him. We know that because that's what David said he said, and that's what Saul said they said. They whispered to David in the cave, here's the day God has promised. Do to him what seems good to you, which is, of course, kill this guy. Because he's trying to kill you. Saul was in the crosshairs. The tables had been turned. He was at David's mercy. This could be the end of the conflict that has dominated this book. But then David does the unthinkable. He, he gets up and he, he slips down. And he just cuts off a corner of his rope. I mean, it took some serious skill to do this. He had to be quiet. He had to have a sharp sword. He had to cut it without drawing attention to himself. Imagine the risk he took, the skill required. No doubt he could have killed him. (laughs) If he could do this, he could have killed him. But he didn't. Which leads to number two, like David, on this long and difficult journey, you're going to need to exercise restraint. Verse 5 says, David's heart struck him. He was grieved. He was convicted. He felt like he had done something wrong. Even though from everyone else's perspective, he was foolishly gracious. (laughs) But not not from David. Oh, you're going to love David. You're going to love the Psalms that he writes more. He is quite a guy. He is tender-hearted towards the Lord. He is is God's chosen King. He is a man after God's own heart. We want to be like Him in this regard. His heart struck Him. He was sensitive. If Saul had had the opportunity, he would have certainly killed David. In, In chapter 22, he had sent his men, and they slaughtered the priests just because he thought they were friends of David. They had supported David. So no doubt, if he had David in his crosshairs, he would have killed him. David is convicted for cutting off a piece of his robe. For David, this was presumptuous. For David, this was symbolic. The robe represented the kingdom. And it was like he was taking it into his own hands to rule God's kingdom. He should have been convicted. Verse 6, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. David's men seem seem reasonable. We all would think the same thing. But this man was spirit-filled. This man had a heart for God. And in his conflict with Saul, he has repeatedly said, I am a faithful servant of the king. He has never considered himself Saul's enemy. Saul wanted David killed. He intended to make sure of it, but David would not even cut off 
a corner of his robe without feeling guilty about it. We want to be like this. <laughs> we want to follow this example. David is like Christ. 1 Peter 2.23 when, when Christ was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued. Why do you exercise restraint? Entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. That's what David did. And that's what Christ did. And you're going to need to exercise restraint as you continue to entrust yourself to the Lord. David knew he'd be king one day. He also knew that the decision of when was not his. It was the Lord's. It's the Lord's kingdom. It's His nation. And he was not to take the kingdom in his own power. The kingdom had been given to Saul by God. And so he's the Lord's anointed right now. And it's the Lord's prerogative to take the kingdom from him in his own timing, in his own way. His ways are not the ways of David's men, but they are the ways of David. Verse 7, so David persuaded his men. Literally, he tore his men apart with his words. These guys were like, who is this guy? And they were convicted by his example. And we should be. Oh, I hope there's a prayer going on in your soul right now. God, make me like this man. We can trust God. The action ends in verse 7, but what is very common in Old Testament narrative is that now the speeches begin. And that's when you figure out what the meaning of all this is. So verse 8, David comes out of the cave, calls out to Saul, my lord the king, and then he bows to him. He takes a serious risk even to do this, to come out of the cave, but then he, he addresses Saul with respect. And then he, he preaches to him in verse 9. Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for He's the Lord's anointed. And so, here he is at the mouth of the cave, and it's, Proof positive that he wasn't out to harm Saul. And then, and then he has even more proof. He holds up the corner of the robe. He's restrained himself. I, I took a class years ago at a seminary. I was in Florida. We were studying the doctrine of the church. We were talking about baptism and Sinclair Ferguson was teaching, a Reformed guy, just a wonderful teacher, wonderful class, and he was teaching about infant baptism, and there were a lot of people in the class who didn't believe in infant baptism, didn't like infant baptism, they're all young students, half as smart as Dr. Ferguson, maybe, but they got irritated 
and vocal, and they went after him. And I remember I was shocked at how they were talking to him. He listened patiently for quite some time. He's from Scotland. Listened to their questions, listened to their comments, and then he responded with that wonderful Scottish accent. This is a Presbyterian institution. You didn't think we'd be teaching believers baptism now, did you? And then he moved on, and everyone laughed. It diffused the whole situation. He exercised restraint. He's a brilliant guy. I knew what he could do intellectually to these guys. Had I been in his place and that smart, no way do I exercise restraint. I make fools out of these guys. I'm so thankful the Lord has made me dumb. And weak, you know, I can't get in much trouble. David demonstrated he'd leave it to the Lord. He he showed caution, he showed restraint. He had a mob behind him who was passionate. Kill him! This is your chance! Voices, kill him! Take the easy path. It's very important to note that in 1 Samuel 26, he does it all again. Almost the same scenario. Certainly the same attitudes. The same temptations. He has one of his leaders say, I'll pin him to the ground with my spear. He does the exact same response. Where did he get this kind of patience? How do you do this? Verse 12. May, now note, the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. Verse 15. May the Lord, therefore, be judge. May the Lord give sentence. May the Lord plead my cause. He's a believer. He trusts the Lord. He's experiencing injustice. But he trusts the Lord is sovereign. He's in control. He's the judge. He is good. He is right. He will avenge me. He will take up my cause. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. He's watching it all. No one's going to get away with anything. I just happened to be meeting with our friend and Old Testament scholar Ray Ortland this week, and he'll be with us December 30th, by the way. We we're meeting on Thursday, and I, I'm not dumb, so I asked him, I said, hey, Mr. Old Testament scholar, I'm preaching on 1 Samuel 24. Throw the boy a bone. Give a beggar something here. I need your help. What do you think about when you consider this text? What's amazing is, I hadn't told him I was going to do this, and I mean, he just took off, and I'm writing all this down. Let me read to you. This is a paraphrase, because I can't get every word down. He said, this is an incredibly timely text, especially with the election coming up on Tuesday. The church needs to be a place of peace and gentleness. But this is counter-cultural. Our culture has lost 
a sense of God. And for the most part, our culture doesn't trust that God will take care of their cause. Verse 15, He will plead my cause. They, we don't show restraint. People are unreasonable, angry, enraged. And here's what he said, empty people are prone to be angry people. The church is vulnerable to being like this. We don't want the meekness and gentleness of Christ as much as we want the victory of Christ. After the election, some people will be euphoric. Some will be depressed. We shouldn't be either. Then he said, then he said to me, do you have my commentary on Isaiah? <laughs> yes, Ray, I have your commentary on Isaiah. Do you have my commentary on Isaiah? <laughs> oh, that's right. I don't have a commentary on Isaiah or any other book of the Bible. And he shared this verse, Isaiah 8. To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no light. They have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward in arrogance. Our, the point is, our hope is not in human agency. But the real kicker was when Ray reminded me that David's a type of Christ. And David said, may the Lord judge between me and you. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, not judge between me and you. Jesus said, judge me. Number three, like David, you're going to need to be patient. You're going to need to be patient. Verse 13, as the proverb, David says, as the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. Some told me to kill you. Verse 11, there's no wrong, there's no treason in my hands. I haven't sinned against you. You hunt my life to take it. You've sinned against me. That's his point. Out of the wicked come wickedness. You've sinned against me, but I have not sinned against you. I have not reviled in return. And then Saul even confesses in verse 17, you are more righteous than I am. David's point is that if he was wicked, if he was an unbeliever, if he didn't trust the Lord, he would have killed him. He would have done a wicked thing. He would have grasped for the kingdom. But notice that his restraint and patience affects Saul. Verse 16, Saul says, Is this your voice, my son David? And lifted up his voice and he just wept. You will find that will be the effect. That your restraint and your patience, the Lord will use that in our culture. Our gentleness and meekness. When we're like Christ, it will make a difference. And he even confesses in verse 20, you're going to be king. 
This is the kind of king that Israel needs. We must learn patience. We must learn on this long and difficult journey to wait for the Lord. If you've been a Christian very long, you've seen people make serious mistakes because they're looking for an easier way and there just isn't an easier way. It's, it's a hard slog to the kingdom of heaven. We have to resist the temptation to find another solution. The Lord is working out His promises in our lives. In ways often we don't like. And it often takes longer than we like. We have to be patient. Especially when the mob is whispering. And they're trying to get us to take another path. Saul lost his kingdom because he would not wait for God's timetable. Remember, he grew impatient because of his unbelief. He wasn't willing to wait. David waited for the Lord to fulfill his plans for him. He was patient. Psalm 40, verse 1. David wrote this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. You can count on it. Wait on the Lord. He will be faithful. You will come into the kingdom. And you will have no regrets when you trust the Lord. The cure for impatience is to believe His promises. Leave the results to Him. Don't get discouraged. Don't lose heart. This story is written for our instruction. This is how God works. He controls our circumstances. He promises everything is working out together for your good. What they intended for evil... God intended for good. He is working it out. Most often, we're like Job. We don't see the purposes of God in our circumstances. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. But through the encouragement of Scripture, we can have hope. And we can be patient. Jerry Bridges says this, all character traits of godliness grow out of and have their foundation in our devotion to God. But the fruit of patience must grow out of that relationship in a particular way. Only as we fear God will we submit to the trials He sends or allows. And only as we deeply apprehend His love for us in Christ will we find the courage to bear up under them. Listen to this. Trials always change. Our relationship with God. It was worth the trip today to hear that. It's so true. 
they always change our relationship with God. Either they drive us to Him or they drive us away from Him. The extent of our fear of Him and our awareness of His love for us determine in which direction we will move. And so, the main point is today is be patient in this long and difficult journey to the kingdom of heaven. That's the main point. But I want to close by pointing to Christ. Again, 1 Peter 2. For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered. You're suffering. Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in His mouth. Like David. David is a type of Christ. A model. A pattern. When Christ was reviled, this is the the more perfect David. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And the word of the Lord to you today is trust God. Entrust yourself to God regardless of the circumstances. We're called to patience. We're called to restraint. He's left us an example to follow. And He is always faithful to His promises. Father, I thank You this morning for Your Word. Lord, I pray we'd be instructed. I believe it's a gift for You and I I just ask, Father, through the Spirit that You would open our eyes like we prayed for the babies today so that we might behold wonderful things in Your law, in Your Word, in this chapter. Open our eyes, Lord, and let every believer's faith be strengthened today for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.